When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with your host, Dr. Tony Huang. Today, I'm with Alex Kwame. Alex, can you give a brief background about yourself? Hey, Alex Kwame, co-founder and CEO of Pathlight. I'm here in Palo Alto in what looks like a prison cell, uh, but it's our office. And Pathlight is a generative AI native conversation intelligence platform. Uh, and so we ingest and analyze millions of customer conversations to pull out the most important insights about customers for executives and the answers to biggest to, to their biggest questions. And it's been a it's been a wild ride. Well, how did you become the CEO of Pathlight? My career has been in B2B software. I started my career at LinkedIn in kind of the earlier pre-IPO days. And then I left to start my first company and we built software for small medium businesses, mostly restaurants and bars. Sold that company to Yelp and was at Yelp for a while. And Yelp's got a very large customer-facing team. It's got thousands of sales reps, customer support reps. And I spent a lot of time with that team. And a lot of ideas came from that, one of them being Pathlight. That's really cool. So yeah, I think using LLMs to analyze customer conversation is like a pretty um, straightforward problem because of the fact that it's unstructured and you can use like a language model to make it more structured. So do you guys like use sentiment analysis or what are you trying to extract out? Are you trying to extract out key information from the conversation or are you trying to do something like a summarization of the conversation? What's the purpose of using an LLM? You nailed it that this is like the perfect down the fairway LLM use case. And maybe the best way to think about it is what was possible before LLMs and then what LLMs have made possible. Before LLMs, all you could do was sentiment analysis or just the, the, the standard kind of NLP stuff that we were all doing, topic modeling, maybe some summarization, keyword detection. So very cursory analysis and also very reactive. You, you could only look for stuff you knew to look for that you would configure and pre-train for. And you think of a customer conversation, obviously it's so much richer than that, especially a phone call or a long uh, ticket conversation or something like that. In our view, and you would never find a customer who would disagree with this, that their customer conversations are important and valuable pieces of data. And uh, you said the right words, unstructured. And so unstructured up until now means inaccessible. And our customers would have, our customers would have millions of customer conversations and they knew that they had gold just sitting in those conversations, but they had no way to access it. And of course, yeah, so they did some level of legacy machine learning NLP on top of it, 
but usually they just paid humans to review some sample percentage of these conversations. And if you think about an LLM though, this is perfect, it's language. And so with an LLM, you are able to do deep human level analysis of every single conversation, both at the, so at the singular kind of micro conversation level, but then also at the macro multi-conversation level, analysis over millions of conversations. And so it's just something that was totally not possible before for a variety of reasons both technologically and then just also financially, economically, you just, you, it's not even a job that you could get a human to do is listen 24 seven to calls and, and then provide some sort of strategic output to the executive team. Yeah. It's a perfect initial use case for the technology. So what, what is the, what is the medium in which you are taking this conversation from customers? Like for instance, AT&T a while back. They built out, and this was before LLMs were popular, they built out a customer service bot where when you rang them up and tried to complain or bitch about whatever it is that's going on, this, this bot would analyze the pitch and tone of the customer's voice, and then it would prompt the customer service agent with something to say to de-escalate the situation. And so this was way before LLMs were even possible. So... In that scenario, it was using vocal or like voice or audio. So what, what are you using in order to gather these types of customer interactions? Yeah, a great, great question. And that answer will change over the next year with the rise of multimodal. But right now we're simply focused on text. And I would say that is not, that, that is, even if it was easier to do transformer model driven, like spectrum analysis or pitch analysis or something like that. The majority of the insights that truly matter for the business are in the text of the conversation. So if it's audio, obviously it's being transcribed. And then if it's text, it's just, it's just text. So and I should have backed up because you, you asked a question earlier of, are you doing summarization, et cetera? And, and we are, and think about that as table stakes, but the most important things that we do are answer questions like, why are my customers canceling? Or... What are the biggest, what are the biggest objections that customers are having that are preventing them from buying and that across a million conversations and something that's happened? What's, what are, what's the emergent trend, the new objection, the new churn retention risk, the new OPEX or supply chain issue or something like that, that we're noticing, obviously that's all coming out of text. And so while customer sentiment, volume pitch, et cetera, is a helpful data point, when you think of the potential for the business, sentiment analysis versus figuring out why my customers are canceling is a probably a thousand X more valuable insight. So we're very much focused on text, but we're experimenting increasingly with multimodal, obviously. And especially as we start thinking about embedding the audio of these conversations and then figuring out interesting use cases for doing cosine similarity on, on or, or some sort of vector similarity on the audio of those conversations. There's some interesting use cases there, but we're very focused on text right now. I'd say trying to go into audio is a, a little bit more difficult because of the multi-party problem. There are algorithms out there that work well with it, but a lot of times multi-party audio extraction is quite difficult. So starting off with text is a lot more simplistic because of its structure. And it's structured in a way where you can actually analyze it quite readily. And this is, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but you actually asked something earlier that was like, the, is like really important point, which is backing out of the actual business problem. And so this is a great example because there's so much 
There's so many applications in, in the AI space right now that are technology in search of a problem. And so multimodal is coming along. And in some ways, like we're builders, like we, we want to try to get it to, we, we want to use it. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't solve a business problem, like we're not going to invest in it. Yeah. There's a lot of people just building LLM products just for the hell of it. Cause it's just so easy now to build it. So I'm curious on your take on how you can put a large conversation into a LLM because for the viewers at home that don't really understand that question, LLMs have this thing called a context window. And the context window varies depending on how capable a large language model is. So like for instance, OpenAI's um, GPT 3.5 has a token window, context window of uh, 4,000, which means that the things you put into it and, and then you receive from it, that has to be inside of a specific context window. So I'm curious on like your take on how you can cram this very long conversation, which spans probably like multiple pages, usually for a conversation, right? Into a small context window, like how would you do it? What's your take on it? What were some like early problems that you encountered trying to do this? Sure. And, and I think another limitation, because I'm, if you follow the industry, you're seeing it's, there's a little bit of an arms race on context window size, right? And Anthropic was hanging their hat on a hundred K context window. And then for GPT four turbo comes out 120 K context window. And then I saw some open source model, 200 K context. window. So it's in some ways it's a vanity metric, but it's not as simple as that, right? Because retrieval isn't retrieval performance isn't equal across the context window. And so just because you say it's a hundred K context window, you are to be able to fit a call within that. It's not as simple as that. So to actually answer your question, and I actually, I'll, I'll, I'll alter your question as well. Um, to answer your question, of course, you're going to have calls that exceed the context window. And they're, they're becoming pretty standard techniques to, to compress, to get you the information that you need, whether it's like a, a Langchain kind of driven like MapReduce or, or even moving to a more of a RAG architecture, depending on the processing. And I should note every conversation that we process and we process audio and text conversations, we're doing 10 to 20 different processing jobs. So you have summarization, tagging, intent classification, sentiment, agent performance scoring, and then you've got all the macro analysis steps as well. Some of those require the entirety of the transcript in the context window. And so you're doing some sort of compression. Others are better in a retrieval augmented gen a RAG methodology. And so then context window limitation becomes less of an issue. And I would actually say one, one, of, one of the larger challenges for us because context windows are expanding pretty significantly is less fitting long calls into the context window and more being able to handle the scale of a true contact center that is doing millions of calls, millions of conversations a year. This technology is new. Compute is constrained, as we all know. And so there, therefore, the API limits that third-party providers are imposing are actually relatively low. Even if you get them expanded, they're relatively low. It only takes one, it can even take just one customer who's doing millions of calls. And again, right, right, each conversation is 10 to 20 processing steps, you, like order of magnitude or more calls to the API. That can, you, you run into rate limiting very quickly. And so a lot of the work that we've had to do, and one of the reasons we were multi-LLM and LLM agnostic from the beginning is that it was certainly, it, it was certainly because of quality and quality and cost, but also because of performance. 
And all three of those factors, cost, quality, and performance, they vary per model and they are changing as the models evolve and as the industry advances. And our view is that, hey, what's state-of-the-art today could be archaic in three months. And we want our customers to have access to the best possible technology. And building that infrastructure of managing multiple models, you know, the abstraction layer on top of that, like routing, retry logic, all, all of that. One prompt, the way you prompt one model versus the other can be different has been a lot of the work to actually get this from prototype to production. So what are some challenges that you face when you're trying to string along multiple LMs? Or actually, if you could just start off with, like, what's like the process of just attempting to string together multiple LMs for a single solution? At, at the end of the day, again, we're just solving a customer pain point. So the customer does not care that multiple LMs are used. Maybe that's some sort of like vanity marketing thing, but like at the end of the day, the customer just wants the best possible insights, the best possible answers to their questions. This is simply just the way that we are able to get this done. And so the, the first layer, perhaps the most obvious layer is that every each API is different, right? And so not only each API is different, within the API you are prompting. And so the actual prompting language and templating is different because just early. There's not a lot of uniformity. There's not a lot of accepted standards. And also just the space is moving so quickly. And it's building an abstraction layer on top of that so that internally it's all going to the same kind of job queue, whether it's a summarization to LLMA or tagging to LLMB. And then you've got the infrastructure layer that kind of translates that into the model specific instructions. And then each model's got its own rate limiting, its own kind of retry back off, all, all of that, its own error messaging and, and stuff like that. So you're building that automation layer. That was the biggest, that's the initial big lift. I'd say honestly too, is like, while we're proud of that work, we wish there was a company that could do it for us. That's not how we're going to win. And, and so it feels very much like early cloud days where you had to build a lot of your own infrastructure before the infrastructure layer matured. Yeah, yeah, right now it's like the Wild West, right? So everyone's attempting to build their own like solutions for it and they're calling it whatever, right? So this week, AWS had reInvent and they released AWS Q where it looked like they were trying to catch up because they're falling behind. But yeah, everyone's trying to, to come up with their own solution and they're calling it whatever it is. But at the end of the day, everything's like the same, right? Like the structure itself is the same. So I'm curious as to your LLM ops pipeline that you've built, because on our last show, we had the CTO of Astronomer come on and they were building their own LLM ops uh, because they're an orchestrator company. So could you just describe how you built your LLM ops pipeline? Yeah, we have an advantage. And again, we don't, we wouldn't, we're, we're not going to, we're not trying to sell our LLM ops, but, and, and that's the advantage is we know the job that we're trying to solve versus if I, if you, we were an infrastructure startup, I think we'd be trying to figure out which application use cases do we need to support? We've got this one application use case that we want to support. And so what are the things that are important to us? We don't care about latency because that we, every, all of our processing is async. Tons of LLM applications care about latency because there's a real-time component, there's a chat component or something like that. So we don't care about latency and that's not a constraint for us, but we do really care about throughput and the amount of requests per minute that we can send through and tokens per second and, and those types of limitations. And so, and obviously <clears throat> while costs, unit economics matter less in the prototype stage, they start to add up very quickly when we're talking about tens of millions of API calls. 
I think because customer conversations are relatively robust. There's usually a decent amount of tokens, especially the ones that matter. And so the, we just looked at the getting back to solving the business problem. We just looked at the problem that we wanted to solve, which is we've got customers who are every single second creating these conversations. We want to process them immediately so that those insights are available to, to leadership um, as soon as possible. Because one of the most important problems that we solve, it's less about tracking things that you know about and more about detecting things you've never seen before, especially emergent new things. And so freshness and that the real-time nature of those insights is really important. So for us, it was pretty simple. Again, we knew what we needed to do and we just built the infrastructure that allowed us to do that. What was your biggest hurdle or a significant hurdle when you were trying to develop the pipeline? Maybe I'll answer that by saying it's like, where did we, where was the, where did we first turn to a third party company? And that was really in, uh, that was in logging and understanding logs. And so we ended up using log 10, which is a great company and it's a small team and they've got a great product and, and they, and they know what they're doing and logging doesn't really matter in the prototype phase. But if we're talking about deploying something to production where a customer is paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for, and they expect some level of accuracy. And at the end of the day, like, I don't know, they expect some level of, they expect a level of accuracy that LLMs aren't necessarily known for because they're used to buy, buying like Salesforce or SAP or just stuff that's totally, totally deterministic. And so the, one of the biggest challenges early on is, is just getting to the point where you, you have the, a level of accuracy and consistency that is acceptable to the customer, acceptable to your own kind of early principles. And so that is a ton of trying things, looking at the logs, how did it react, what broke, and then the ability to quickly turn that log into, a pl into the playground so you can like tweak the prompt and then roll that back in. And so that we actually saw that and that was one of those things where it was fortunate. It was like, gosh, we really don't want to build this ourselves. And Log10 had just come out. And so we started working and partnering with them. And then Langchain released Langsmith not shortly thereafter. I think it's a pretty similar product. And so that market started to grow, but it was a kind of critical part of the infrastructure in the early building process. Yeah. I, I did play around with Langsmith. I think it's a production monitoring framework. Is that right? So do you think that a lot of folks will switch from building very large products off of one text prompt to using multiple LLMs in the future because of like, cost savings, rate limit problems, performance issues, or do you think that everyone will just attempt to build like one sin single product off of one LLM moving forward? Because like right now it's very easy to just slap an LLM on something, like a single LLM on something, and then say that you got Gen AI. But it's another thing to build something that uses multiple LLMs to get something more advanced or something cheaper or something that performs better. What are your thoughts on that? I, I think there's a lot of parallels with a lot of previous kind of trends in industries and like cloud computing is one of them where you're going to have the things that are, that, that make it the easiest for you to get started and to prototype. Maybe that's like a Vercel or something like that, right? Just to get off the ground really quickly. At some point, you're going to reach a level of scale where you really care about unit economics and your cogs. And then there's going to be, pla or just your ability to scale. So then there's going to be platforms that are harder to use, maybe more expensive on an absolute value, but just also incredibly customizable and very powerful and highly scalable. And so there's going to be a lot of different options, I think. But at the end of the day, I again, I'm always backing out of the use case or the customer value. 
And so I think there's just going to be things that are very use case specific. And maybe there are use cases and applications where you want something pretty broad and generic, but also high end. And so that's maybe where that GPT-4 kind of, of of the world, that kind of class. Others where you want something super specific. And so maybe that's just, that can only be solved by, maybe at some point there is the GPT-4 equivalent for legal LLMs. That's, you know, third-party available. Maybe you have to do your own fine-tune. And then of course, there's the element of cost. And I think one thing that's certainly going to be clear is you're going to have the very expensive models that are great to prototype off of. At some point, you're going to need to scale, but you don't want to decrease quality. And so you'll need to, ideally, you're adopting inferior models, whether those are third-party or your own hosted, and then you're leveraging fine-tuning or whatever the technology de jour is to get accuracy equivalent or superior to the, the top-tier general models. Yeah. So what do you see like the role of LMs moving forward, like evolving in the customer service sector. Like, do you think a lot of companies are going to start like pumping LMs into everything that has to do with customer service because of the fact that it could analyze all these like unstructured data very well? Or do you think that they're just going to only slap it in at a specific section and not deploy it uh, like across the entire customer service sector? Yeah, you're speaking to extreme technologist optimists. And so my view is, I take the view of, I think this technology is going to totally change everything about how we work. And maybe the proxy I would use is, I think this technology will be transformative like the computer was transformative, not like cloud software was transformative. Where cloud software, obviously you had a CRM, you had Siebel systems, and then Salesforce comes along better, faster, cheaper, right? Great. Obviously an an innovation. But if you think about the change of going from no computer to computer, um, a more meaningful step change and a way and total, just a, a total catalyst in changing so many different ways about how we work and in ways that no one can predict. And so I, I definitely fall in that camp. It's, of course, in the short term, in the next couple of years, I think LMs are going to pervade ex- the existing workflows, but I'm more excited and also more convinced that it's also just going to change the way we think about customer support or sales or how we think about interacting with companies and how companies interact with us. Yeah, I agree. I, in my opinion, for instance, call centers, call, the majority of call centers right now are in like Central America. I think that's going to get wiped out by LMs entirely. Like, I think that line of business is going to go away. It's going to, like, the only thing that's going to be left is trying to firefight if it needs to get escalated to someone that's a real person. But the majority of the tasks are going to be, that are going to be in the customer service sector are going to be all automated. I also think that every single, like, company from now on is going to have some type of customer service chatbot on their website because it's so easy right now to just slap something on So the engagement part of it between the company and the customer is going to increase dramatically because of it. And yeah, like definitely it's going to impact the service industry dramatically. You know, what, what's your viewpoint on like just the broader implications of what you're trying to do in the customer service field? Are you thinking that like you're going to transform the customer service field drastically within the next two years? Do you think it's going to be able to help, you know, companies scale faster? Like in, in like broad strokes, what do you think? your work 
that you're what you're building right now, how's that going to impact the tech field? Our goal is to empower executives, leaders to have a total, complete, confident view of what their customers want and what's going on with their customers. And I, I, I have this discussion all the time with companies where I ask them, hey, do you remember when you first started this business and you got to talk to every customer? And do you remember how quickly you could make decisions and how correct you were in those decisions because you had the ground truth? And at some point you were, and you were so successful that your customer base grew, but you lost that connection, of course. Like you can't talk to every customer once you've got thousands of customers, hundreds of thousands of customers. And so our mission is to, is to allow that to scale such that leadership has a perfect view of what's happening with their customers, what their customers need, new opportunities to serve them and help them and build for them. And so that they can make these decisions really quickly, like a founder of a 10-person company that can move very quickly, they can make those decisions equally as quickly with as equal confidence and accuracy. I, I've heard many founders say, and many leaders say in the past, it's like, gosh, that period when I ran customer support, right? That was a period where we probably had the most impactful product launches for that year because I was just the direct conduit from the customer to the roadmap. What advices would you give to like companies trying to integrate LLMs into their operations? Do you have any like cool tips and tricks or anything easy that they can do in order to get started? So I, I think first thing just to be repetitive is don't think about the LLM, think about the customer problem. Second thing though, is after you think about the customer problem, realize that LLMs and this just general technology uh, wave probably are opening up a brand new way of doing something either totally differently or 10x better, faster, cheaper. And so I think now is the time to think big and think big about and take industries and products that were historically very calcified, very mature. Maybe an example would be like, it was probably pretty crazy to start like a CRM 12 months ago, 18 months ago, right? Like that market was so locked up. I don't think it's crazy to start it now, assuming you've got a fresh idea on how you can leverage this technology to really improve the customer outcome in a better, faster, cheaper way in a totally transformatively different way. So start there and think big. And then the beauty of this technology is how easy it is to prototype. It's so easy to get started. And that's, I think, one of the greatest benefits of, the, of just the infrastructure and the models is this like transfer learning. It doesn't need to be trained on this job. It most likely does not need to be trained on this new use case or workflow that you are that you are envisioning, at least not upfront. And so you can get started incredibly quickly. And I think a lot of what we spent this conversation talking about is more on scaling, which actually is more difficult than it has been in the past. But if the advice is to someone who's just getting started, like that's a good problem to have. It's never been easier, I think, to build something new and try it out. And I think the market and opportunities have just, I think that the board has totally opened up for entrepreneurs. If I need to get in touch with you, how would I do that? Sure. If you want to learn more about Pathlight and what we do, our website's the best way to do that, pathlight.com. But also you can just reach out to me directly. My email is ak at pathlight.com or you can contact me on LinkedIn. And the last question, if you had to redo something over again, what would you do? I'll, I'll start off, right? I, I created a bunch of LM products based off of OpenAI's API key. And, and then like last week, 
there was that whole open AI like drama where Sam Altman got kicked out and then he moved over and the news said that he was going to move over to Microsoft and then people were going to quit at open AI. And I was like, oh shit, all my open AI code's going to be all deprecated. I got to find a different LLM vendor. So that got me thinking like what I should have done was like diversify my LLMs when I first started so that, or had redundant backups of it where like I had different LLMs from different vendors already lined up so that if I needed to switch, I can switch easily. So now I have to rethink my coding strategy the next time I build a product. For you, what's your one take that you would redo? It's just, it's so easy for there to be feature creep with this technology because you can do so many cool things. And so early on when we were building, we added way more processing steps than I think the customer really cared about. And then of course, each processing step, you're adding complexity and a variety of different, from the sales side to the post-sales support success side obviously all the way through to the engineering and product side. And there were times where we got overly excited about the technology and its possibilities and then built things that were because they were possible, not because they were needed. I would actually, I would, I don't think doing multi LLM day one is important, but having that level of redundancy, to me, that feels like an over-optimization if you're not building something that people want. But I do think to your point, it's a very important Kind of step and the earlier you get the earlier you do that the better and most importantly you should just know that at some like you're you are lm agnostic and at some point you are going to implement that right now sure you're using just one model to get off the ground but you don't want all of your eggs in one basket thanks alex for being on the show and until next time stay curious